But then when I when I got to the feeding people, being around a table and having great conversations and creating memories and cooking and eating, I was like, oh wow, actually I should probably open up a restaurant. That sounds that sounds like a, a good plan. That was Ike Shahada of Ike's Love and Sandwiches. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, Ike picks up where he left off in part one. He moved back to the city from Davis and got a job in a market at 16th and Mission, where he'd often make sandwiches for himself. One day, a customer asked Ike to make a sandwich for him, and in a sense, it was the birth of what, years later, would become his business. After a slew of jobs mostly down in the peninsula, and at a sort of crossroads for himself, he opened a business on 16th and Sanchez up in the Castro. Fast forward from 2007 to today, and Ike has more than 50 sandwich shops in several states. We end this episode with Ike sharing his thoughts on the next few years we'll see here in San Francisco. Here's Ike. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll speed forward because I'm in college and I get kicked out or whatever. They don't allow me to sign up and I didn't try to reapply and, and get again. He's just I like, used, I get it. I used it as a, like, I was at a different place. I was in a, I was in a relationship, and it was a long-distance relationship because I lived in Davis, and she lived in the Bay Area. And I was like, you know what? This uh, computer science and engineering thing is not my thing, like I thought it was, but it's not. I didn't like it. I remember on Halloween, so this is actually probably what changed my whole life. Halloween 1996, I was in the computer lab. And, and Halloween's a big day for Ike's because Ike's also opened on Halloween in 2007. So like 11 years later. So there I am. I'm in the computer lab as an 18-year-old. And instead of enjoying a Halloween in college away from home with all the parties that I hear going on, I'm in the, I'm in the uh, lab, computer lab, like trying to pump out this one bit of code. And then at the end of the day, I like do it and I get, they, close the, they close it at midnight. So I basically get told I need to leave. I submit it, like I spent all night working on it or whatever. And then I get like a C plus on it. Uh, oh, oh no, I'm sorry, a C plus plus, AO. And, um, and so uh, uh, for me it was like, holy shit, I just wasted my, my Halloween. Instead of having fun, I did not have any fun. And then I got a C plus on it. So, and we were doing Pascal back then, so it was like, I just decided it wasn't for me. So that's why then I started taking creative writing and accounting, and I was like, what, if I'm going to be in college and I needed to take my prerequisites anyway, I was like, I wanted to do that instead of messing around with computer science and engineering. Uh, and so that day, I was like, that's it, I'm done with computer science. I'm going to try to find something else. It's the, it's the end of my uh, freshman year, so I'll, uh, next year, I'll just like, try something different. Basically, I just messed around with my freshman year, and that's fine with me. Uh, then they wouldn't let me apply, so I thought they did me a favor, or they wouldn't let me sign up for classes. Like they did me a favor anyway. I want to get into business. I really like when I studied accounting. I really liked uh, working the numbers. When I studied creative writing, I really liked how my brain would get creative. When I did drama, um, I really liked how the like the human interaction and things like that. And I just decided to start working in um, a supermarket on 16th and Mission. So the reason why I bring that up is, well, one, I ended up living there for like eight years in the city. 
uh, from like 98 to 2000, no, probably 2004, maybe 97 to 2004. That's when you came back from Davis. Yes. Came back from Davis after not being allowed to go to school there anymore. And, and, uh, that's where I ended up taste, um, refinding my connection to making food and making food for people, other people. Uh, like in a prof- in a professional environment, in a uh, in a selling environment, because I I'd be there, and because I was working at this business, and end up becoming a part owner of the business, 16th Mission. It's called uh, it was called Mission Plaza Market. It's not there anymore, but next to the sandwich uh, um, the sandwich place. Right. And it's now called Meteora Market. So it's still a market there. And I ended up being an owner there. And because I was an owner, I was there all the time. Like, here I am now replaying what my father did, where he'd go to work and be there all the time and work from the open to the close and then come home. So I was doing that now, you know, 100% because that's what my dad did. And I, and I learned it and also liked it. I had fun. Probably my re- dream retirement is a little bodega either in San Diego or Hawaii with a, with a little sandwich counter that I'll run and then, like, some shelves for me to manage and... and uh, stuff like that and that'll be like my 11 to 4 p.m. job and then that's it and I'll go home and, and relax and study or whatever on the beach or, or you know on the beach in San Diego or Hawaii that's probably my retirement one day still selling sandwiches you know maybe like uh, Hero Loves Sushi where I'll just be like alright we're only gonna do like 12 people today and I'm gonna chop you up a sandwich and then and serve you but uh, there I, because I was there often I would um, and there was a meat market there I would buy meat from them, um, use the sauces and the spices in the store, and I would grill up sandwiches. And what happened is over time, like it would make the whole um, store smell delicious. You'd walk in, and, and some people would come in and be like, whoa, that smells amazing. What are you making? And I'd be like, oh, I'm making an ostrich cheesesteak. And somebody would be like, I'll give you $10 for that. And I'm like, did the math. Well, I paid $3 for the ostrich. I paid $0.50 cents for the bread. Sure, I'll sell it to you for $10, and then just make another one, right? right. So, and, uh, so I really That literally to, happened. That literally happened. Okay. I'd be making a sandwich in, in 16th, uh, in, um, market or 16th and, uh, mission in the store, in the market and somebody come in and smell it and then literally buy the sandwich that I was about to make myself. And so I'd sell it. And, and it, I mean, it really did smell delicious. I could totally see how you walked in and you were hungry. You're like, I'll give you 10 bucks for that. And this was, uh. Like 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And that would probably happen at least two or three times a week. Well, and that's a version of of coming in here. Yeah. For me, at least, today. It's like, okay, wow, it smells fucking awesome in here. Exactly. So Whatever it is they're making, I want. That that was happening to me a couple times a week. Okay. So later on, when the the guy who owned the market, um, he decided he wanted to retire the meat market in in the supermarket that I had. So at a meat market, he rented from me. He went out. Uh, he decided he wanted to retire. So now I had this deli, full deli case, like longer than this. I mean, not longer than the shop, but but like pretty freaking long. And I was like, hey, every time I make, every time I cook, somebody tries to give me ten dollars for a sandwich. So let me let me try opening up a sandwich shop. And uh, I opened up. I was there for probably thirty days. And I opened up. And my deal was, uh, and you know, this is this is in 2001. Was you get a sandwich, and a chips, and a can of soda, and a, for five bucks. Whoa! And 2001, then, and of. I would have like 45 people at lunch come in. So the the unfort the reason why it only went like 30 days, maybe 45 days, maybe 60 days. I don't really remember how much time I did it, 
but because I was like, man, that's a lot of work. Having a line out the door for, and then uh, and then at the end of the day, for five bucks, like, I'd make like two hundred dollars, but then minus 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 minus, my profit was like, oh, I just worked my ass off for like fifty bucks um, for like eight hours or something like that. Which I mean, you know, it's not so bad, but after taxes and then after, you know, whatever, it was like a lot of work for not a lot of money. And uh, but I will say that that experience allowed me to know. Well, I took for granted the fun that I was having when I was making sandwiches for people. And later, years later, in 2007, when I decided to, or two, I mean, probably 2006 when I had the idea again, in 2007, so like five years later, I was like, you know what? I wasn't factoring that I was having fun. I was just factoring in the money. And I remember this quote from uh, Napoleon Hill, and he says that if at the end of the day, at the end of your work, if all the value that you get from the work that you put in is the amount of money in your paycheck or your pay envelope, it doesn't matter how high that number is, you're still underpaid, Right. no matter what. So then I started going, oh, well, okay, I really love to make sandwiches. I enjoyed the talking. You would come in and like, oh, you love, you love a garlic salami sandwich? And this is where Dirty Sauce came in, is this gentleman came in, and he, and he, asked, for, uh, he asked for a sandwich. He wanted a salami sandwich, and he said, but what I really like is a salami and cheese sandwich, but made on garlic bread. Okay. Do you have garlic bread? I'm like, no, I don't have, like, we don't sell garlic bread here. But I looked at the, my spice rack, you know, from, from all the days in, in uh, Davis. And I go, well, I have garlic powder. I have boom, boom, boom. And I had butter. I was like, oh, I'm going to put butter, mi- mi- microwave the butter with the garlic powder in there, pull it out, brush it on the bread, melted the cheese, melted the salami, made him a sandwich. So... I did that, mixed it all up, and sold him a sandwich. He left. He came in the next day and said, man, that was the best sandwich I've ever had in my life. I want the same thing, salami and cheese on garlic bread. So because he said that, I made him another one, and then he left. And he said it was the best sandwich he ever had in his life. This is 2001. I go, I'm going to make myself one. So I made it, salami, um, the garlic butter thing that I made, and I took a bite. And I said, man, that was dirty. And that's where Dirty Sauce came from, and that's where Dirty Sauce got its name from. Because back then, me and my crew, we used to say, like, you know, bad means good back then. Dirty, for us, meant good. And so uh, that's where it came from. So if it wasn't for that guy coming in and, and asking for me to get creative and making a garlic bread sandwich for him yeah. at my sandwich place, even though it was very short-lived, like probably 45 days, somewhere in that range, Dirty Sauce wouldn't have also been a thing. Okay. And uh, so that all happened. 16th Mission, Mission, 2001. Dirty Sauce was invented. So this um, market on 16th and Mission, right around 2004. uh, Let's see. There was like some. I don't want to say economic crash, but like over the time, I think we were. uh, Who was President Bush? The second time, and we were. uh, That 9/11 happened, and I remember. So, um, like I said, my parents are uh, Palestinian descendants. They grew up Muslim. And when that happened, even in the city like San Francisco, like people would walk by and we'd have a trash can in the beach. They'd dump the trash can in the store, like, screw you, go back to where you're like, all these things. And, right. and keep in mind, I, I was born here and maybe I looked super Middle Eastern. These days I get people online saying I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, what, uh, what's the other the thing that people don't like right now? White, I'm a white male and, oh, and, right, and, and right, a capitalist, right? right. right? I'm, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself 
uh, Caucasian. Not that there's anything wrong with being Caucasian. I, I feel like I'm Palestinian and, and uh, descendants of immigrants. I literally came here. Like, I'm first generation here. But like back then, I don't know, it was really like anti-Arab uh, and, and things like that. And even, like you said, I mean, even in San Francisco. Yeah, even in San Francisco, where people would come in like, screw you, we're going to like, do, if I'm going to catch you after work today, like stuff like that. In San Francisco and all that stuff. I mean, this was happening way before um, you know, the current presidential uh, administration and, and that whole uh, Islamophobe right. stuff. It, or it was like that. It was right uh, after 9-11. It was right there during 9-11. So, so slowly but surely, business... Uh, went out of business, and on April 12th, 2004, I, we had these gates like we have here. We closed up the gates. I closed it up, and I decided that uh, I can't do this anymore because I was working 20 hours a day for, like, 20 bucks. Uh, PG&E came in, shut off our power, so I didn't even have power, and I closed it up, and I lived in the back of the store for until I got basically evicted by the landlord for not paying rent from this market. Right. So what happened, that was 2004. So from 2001, 2004, the business closed. And so I started, I was working seven days a week because I was really committed to um, having fun, making money so I wouldn't ever have to like sleep on the floor again and having food. And I, because I used to live off of like a dollar, $3 a day in food right. back during those times in 2004. And I wouldn't want to ever be there again. So I were like three, I became like a workaholic. And also, like, relive the working seven days a week on 16th Mission at my own market. And then what I noticed is working seven days a week, I could do that. But I liked it more when I owned the business. Even though there was dates to get in Victoria's Secret and BB and, and I ended up becoming a bartender later on and then selling real estate or not selling real estate more specifically and working at Trader Joe's too, even though like I really enjoyed the human interaction with people, which is like a real big part of Ike's. And one of the parts that makes Ike's amazing is that we really love working with the person at the register to help them find the best sandwich possible. Like I made that garlic bread sandwich for that guy 10, you know, whatever year in 2001. Same thing, it's like you come in and you want whatever it is you want and I want to get you the perfect sandwich. So w once I saw that, wow, Okay, I can work seven days a week. It had nothing to do with that. It was more, I, um, I thought I didn't want responsibility, but what I really wanted was um, being passionate about what I was doing. And I wasn't necessarily passionate when I had the supermarket. Right. I liked the business aspect of it, but running the register at a supermarket on 16th and Mission was not, um, it was very small times was fun, and the rest of the time was rough and tumble. Well, we've already heard hints of it a little bit in your stories, but... What is it or was it about sandwiches that you're like, this is what I'm going to do? I made a list, actually. So I made a list of knowing what I knew, starting a business. Uh, there's often, my experience especially, was there's going to be a lot of work in the beginning. And it's not necessarily going to balance out with the amount of money I'm going to make. So when the time got tough... I wanted to make sure that I was doing something that I loved to do so that I wouldn't quit. I didn't want to start a bit. I knew I wanted to start a business, but I didn't want to start a business and then not make any money and be like, oh, screw this. I'm going to go back to selling bras and panties because at least that was fun. So I was like, well, what would be fun? Because I was working at Victoria's Secret for eight bucks an hour, and, but I liked it because it was fun. And then uh, and I'm getting raised because I was having fun, probably because I was having fun. If I wasn't, if it was there, just there for a paycheck, I likely wouldn't have got the raise. And same thing at BB. I was working on commission, and I was the highest like volume person in our store and like sometimes in the whole district because I was having fun making people feel 
um, great and stuff. So I, was like, I made a list. And it was like 37 things on the list. What I would do, quote, for free, what I love to do, um, essentially the prompt to myself was what I would do for free, what I would do and not give up if I didn't make any money doing it. Because I knew it was going to be a while. And on that list was stuff like snuggling baby animals. Like that was definitely on the list. Like I love snuggling animals and you wouldn't have to pay me to snuggle them. I would like to snuggle them for free. Uh, I had feeding people on the list. I had um, coming around a table and having conversations and eating together. So this is like laughing gen- and general things. It's a general not list. very specific. Like it wasn't like, like okay. I didn't make a list like how can I make money. It was what do I love to do? And from that list, I, I then went to myself, okay, well, what, um, what would, if I was going to make money doing any of these things, how would I make money? So, and, and I had some creative things, like for the, the baby animals, I was like, oh, it's the beginning of the, inter- I mean, it wasn't like the beginning of the internet, but blogs and stuff wasn't really big. I was like, I could just Google like zoos around the US and when's uh, a baby panda going to be born or a baby cheetah and just fly there. And, and then, and then uh, take pictures with it and like write, hey, by the way, I'm here in Atlanta Zoo and they just had a baby orangutan and here's his, you know, his name is whatever his name is and, and take pictures and, and like do a blog like that. So I, I literally found a way to make money doing everything. But then when I, when I got to the feeding people, being around a table and having great conversations and creating memories and cooking and eating, I was like, oh, wow, actually, I should probably open up a restaurant. That sounds, that sounds like a, a good plan. And then when it came to, oh, I should open up a restaurant, the reason why I ended up becoming sandwiches was, was one, I love sandwiches. Two, I had these recipes already in my head for sandwiches. And the third part was, um, if I opened up a sandwich place, say instead of a, a sit-down restaurant or a fast casual restaurant or whatever, is I wouldn't need servers and tables and all these other, and a host or hostess, and, and I wouldn't need all these things. I figured, oh, I can, I used to run that other sandwich shop by myself. It would just be me. I'll take your order, cash you out, you know, ring you up, wash up, make the sandwich. And so I figured it's something that I could do by myself, wouldn't need a large place, etc. So Ike's became um, a sandwich place. Um, actually, let me flash forward just back, backwards like two months. Ike's initially wasn't a sandwich place. It was a cafe. And the original name for Ike's was Ike's good-looking sandwiches, great-tasting people. That was the full title. But the person who made the, uh, the sign, the artist who did the same, um, those legs on, on Hate Street that hang out, the guy who made the original sign back to the drawing board, his name is Barry and his uh, lovely lady, he was like, no, we can't make, like, that can't be the name of your place. Like, do you know how that, like, how is that even going to look? So he actually named it Ike's Place. He, he's like, let me put together a logo. And so at Ike's Place, we sold, we had a full espresso bar. We were doing um, brown rice, uh, we were doing rice milk and almond milk and soy milk all at the beginning. Because I was like, what if somebody doesn't want soy milk? What if they want rice? We did breakfast. And in fact, in the beginning, Ike's would always be busy. Ike's Place was always busy for breakfast only. And then for lunch, nobody showed up. And for dinner, nobody showed up. We were an ice cream shop. We sold milkshakes. Uh, we got our ice cream from Pollyann's, which from the sunset, I grew up in the sunset, um, 30, what, 7th in Noriega or something like that, 30, maybe 39th in Noriega. So I, I re- really enjoyed their ice cream growing up. So we sold that. We sold sandwiches. We sold salads. And we had vegetarian and a couple of vegan, like three vegan, 
maybe two vegan items when I opened, and then uh, 10 vegetarian sandwiches and 26 sandwiches. And then the reason why Ike's ended up becoming a sandwich place, original Ike's, if you went to the one on 16th and Sanchez, the original, original one, is it was 400 square feet with an 80 square foot um, ADA bathroom taken out of it. So we didn't have that much room. So over time, people, once uh, the reviews started coming out and newspapers started coming out and Man vs. Food and all that other stuff started coming out, we didn't have room for anything else. So we, we just literally morphed into a sandwich place. But originally, Ike's was like a cafe where you can come and have a nice date or a morning coffee, have a milkshake for dinner or for uh, dessert. And that's what Ike's was. But it became a sandwich shop solely based on that's what we were selling. And the last thing that left, well, first thing, I got rid of the salads first of all, because I was like, if you're going to come to Ike's, you're not going to go, oh, five-star salad. No, so I got rid of the salads. If you wanted a salad, I'd make you one. But I wanted, really wanted you to get a sandwich, because that's what made Ike's unique. And then uh, the last thing we got rid of was the ice cream, because uh, we sold so much ice cream and so much milkshakes, especially at night in the Castro, that uh, the only reason why we got rid of that is we just needed more room to make sandwiches. And so thus, like around 2009... Ike's became a sandwich plate only. Is that yes. when it became Love and Sandwiches? No, no, Love and that Sandwiches came way later, and that was due to all those lawsuits, and everybody was suing Ike's place. So we just created a new company, and we didn't want to also get locked up in the lawsuit, so we changed the name. But the name came from Love and Sandwiches in 2012 because any time I would do an interview back then, which I was doing a lot because I was getting kicked out, and I was in, you know, like Fox News, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, all these things. Everybody was interviewing me for all these things. And I was just like, no, we're only amazing because we love and we care about every single human being in here. Apparently, except for the neighbors. And I think I already explained that before. Like, we love everybody so much that the neighbors didn't like that. Or, or you know, I, I forgot to also love the neighbors. That it just happened that we sold great sandwiches and it amplified it. But if we didn't care about you, the wait was three hours long. If you came up after waiting in line for three hours, and then you still had to wait like 30 minutes for your food afterwards, and sometimes an hour, sometimes we'd have waits of eight hours long, that if we were assholes, you would have never eaten at Ike's ever again, no matter how good the sandwich was, right? But because you came up and I was like, oh, hey, Jeff, what would you like? Oh, you want like a garlicky salami sandwich? Oh, man, I got this sandwich called the Ex-Boyfriend. Oh, yeah, don't worry, it's named after all of them. And, uh... It's got cheddar cheese and bacon and salami like all melted together and then avocado on there. And you'd be like, holy geez, I want that. But like, because I cared about you in the moment, didn't matter that there was another like thousand people behind you in line because we'd serve like 1,200 to 2,000 people a day. Jesus. Like, okay. you felt loved. And then at the end, and then I'd be the one that bring you this sandwich. I'm like, hey, Jeff, here you go. Here's the ex-boyfriend. You know, uh, did you, this is what you got? Great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that you, you came in. And that whole thing was like, you're like, oh man, screw this, I'm never gonna come here ever again. But then you ate it, you're like, whoa, it's good. And then you, and then the, also the, the service was amazing. So of course you're gonna tell people, you might um, temper your like, okay, well I'm gonna come here not hungry, or uh, I'm gonna come, yeah, I'm gonna come here not hungry and then eventually become hungry, right? Or plan your day or call ahead or whatever. But that's why Ike's became what it was. And then, uh, so that's why we changed the name to Love and Sandwiches. And then, we put my face on the logo because uh, people kept asking, are you Ike? Are you Ike? Are you Ike? Are you Ike? Are you?" And instead of being like, okay, yeah, just look at the sign. Yeah, I'm clearly Ike. So we put the face on there, and then we saw immediately when we put the face on there, and there was uh, four Ikes at the time when we switched, maybe five Ikes. 
at the time we put the face on and changed the logo to Ike's Love and Sandwiches. One, two, There's probably six Ikes at that time. Immediately over those six Ikes, uh, other than the San Francisco one, which was always super busy, but all the other ones had like an immediate 25 to 30% increase in sales. And, it, and what we believe is that uh, people were already uh, anthropomorphizing their experience, and now they had a face to attach it, and then there was also love in there, so they're like, oh, wow, that's why I love it so much. And, you know, of course, I'm a freaking handsome devil, so that also <laughs> helped, too. Uh, and, um, and then so it's been the, that's been the name since. I want to wrap on your take. Are you optimistic, I guess, is the... the thing that I'm kind of trying to get at for San Francisco. When I opened up Ikes, I didn't live in San Francisco because I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco. I lived in San Mateo. I would commute every day, and my goal at that time when I opened up Ikes was to do what I love to do, check. To um, have food in my stomach, because I'm not used to that, check. To pay for my rent, check. And to have gas in my car so I can go back and forth to work, check. Those four things, very, very, very low standards. But once as I was being inspired and doing things at Ike's, and I wasn't making money for a while, like there'd be days where I'd sit there and it'd be 10 p.m. at night and um, I'd already be working all day and I'd just put my head down for a moment and I fell asleep and I'd wake up and it'd be like three in the morning. I'm like, I didn't mop, I didn't sweep, I didn't prep for tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my God, my life sucks. We made $200 today and minus, 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 I probably made 20 bucks and I've been here since 7 a.m. And now it's 3 a.m. And I, and I slept at a table and I still have to do all these things. So I'm, I, my, one of my dreams ever since I was priced out of San Francisco and I was priced out of San Francisco and like whatever, in 2004 when I, my business was gone, was I want to live in San Francisco. And I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco even when I had three jobs working at BB and Victoria's Secret and Trader Joe's and selling real estate and all that. But my goal was to live in the city. So I was like, what, what value do I need to bring to the world to be able to make enough money so I can afford to live in San Francisco? Because that was my goal. I didn't, I didn't um, come from the space of anything other than that. So then I open up bikes and it ends up being able to afford to allow me allowed to live in the city. So I wanted to preface that because the next thing I'm going to say is I feel like right now all the stuff that's going on, whether it's because of financial reason or beliefs reason or political reason or restrictive reasons or whatever it is, or we're not wanting to be around a lot of people during the pandemic reasons, I feel like right now what's going to happen in the next few years is everybody that actually is committed and wants to live in San Francisco will find a way to make that work for them whatever that looks like for them. And that's what's going to happen over the next three years. And in fact, if anything, I feel like the city's going to get only better because only people that want, you know, there's not going to be any, and I don't want to judge anybody out there, but the people that are here because out of convenience or, or you know, wh whatever that's happening around tech-wise, political-wise, all that stuff, if they're only here for that, if their only reason for living here is not an intrinsic value, it's all extrinsic, they're going to leave regardless of they can afford it or not, regardless of if they think that the, this is a great city to live in or not. They're going to leave if, because a lot of people, and a lot of people just solely base their lives on extrinsic, extrinsic value. And we're seeing that. Yeah, right. And so in three years, it's going to be like, um, if anything, like, uh, I don't want to say true San Francisco because it's still true right now. It's just morphing into becoming uh, a more... Um, I guess the lack of way pet, pet, to say it, I think I said it already. Um, the people that truly want to be here no matter what will end up staying here. 
because I know I couldn't live here and my goal was to live here and even now during all these things I'm still here uh, I, I bought a house even though I couldn't afford to buy a house 10 years ago or uh, eight years ago or something and I had put literally put every penny in my life savings to buy this house and overpay on a house because it's if I don't buy a house eight years ago I'd definitely not be able to afford one right now like I, I can't afford a, 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 a house here I could maybe get in a, a little condo or something but like so but I made that my goal and I did whatever it took whether it meant like I wasn't gonna go on it wasn't gonna go out to eat for three years because I can't I can only luckily I have Ike's so I can afford to eat at Ike's and I could trade like Ike's gift cards to you know other businesses which thank gosh like Ike's is a value that I could do that but I made that sacrifice and I feel like there's gonna be a lot of people that uh, that are going to do that same thing whether it is to stay here or do what they love or continue to do and, and if not they'll find their niche somewhere else and it could be in a place like you know Austin where a lot of people are going or even uh, I love Bozeman Montana it could be all this stuff and there's great opportunities for people everywhere and there's still great opportunities for people in San Francisco right now even if today you can't afford to live here that was Ike Shahada we're taking next week off but on the next episode of storied San Francisco you'll get to know photographer Marcel Turner. Please join us for episode 46 on January 4th. Until then, happy holidays, and please be safe. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 140 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please check out our store, where in the month of December, we're donating proceeds of all sales to Supply Hope Info, a new nonprofit helping students with distance learning. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find our shows just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts, including most recently BFF.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, wear a mask, and stay healthy. podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.